Our Bibles are open tonight to the book of Acts, if you have a copy of the Scriptures. And would turn with us, please, to chapter 12. The book of Acts, the 12th chapter in God's Word. You may want to turn also in the book of Ephesians as the Lord leads us. We'll call our attention to a truth in Ephesians 2 that gives us a little head start to turn and be there. It's a joy to greet you, special joy to sense the reality of the Lord's presence in this place again tonight. Grateful for the good music. Thank you for it. God bless you for it. We trust the Lord will take his word tonight as only he can and uh, talk to our hearts this evening. I want to introduce my message after we read our scripture together by not going into much detail, but I'd like to share with you how this truth became God's word to us as a church. It's been I sat there and thought about it. It's been 31 years. It will be uh, this coming spring when God took the truth that he has directed me to this evening and it became the truth that he had me to share with our church that God in turn took that. And uh, how can I say it without calling attention to those who do not deserve the attention, and that would be uh, the pastor and the people of that church. We did not deserve what God did for us in that fellowship. It was God graciously coming and, and doing something that only God could have done. I was in St. Louis, Missouri in a meeting a while back. It was a pastor's fellowship and a preacher he knew about uh, that uh, time that I'm making reference to, he was in the Indianapolis area then, and he said, Brother Hurt, before you start preaching, would you share with these pastors and this pastor's fellowship what you consider to be the reason why God did what he did in that church? Well, I, I pondered. I don't know all why he did it. I don't know all that took place, of course. I just know that God came to a small group of people that desperately needed God. 31 years ago, in a situation that, well, to put it, uh, to put it in the way that I'm going to refer to in a moment, we needed God to pay us a visit. And in this scripture tonight, it's the early church... It's God intervening. It's God coming on the scene. It's God doing something for his people in the midst of a helpless situation. I mean, from the human standpoint, uh, what God did here, I mean, humanly speaking, it was an impossible situation. And I like what one person said. He said, God does his best work in impossible situations. For his people. I like that. And uh, here is Simon Peter. He's the leader of the church. He's the one that's the spokesman. He's the one that's preached the Pentecostal sermon and 
the large crowd was brought in. He's the leader, if you please. He's in prison. Having already, the church has suffered the loss of James. And uh, wicked Herod, he, he sees that he gains favor with the Jewish community, and he proceeds further to arrest Simon Peter, and he's in prison. And Herod's intention is to also put Peter to death after these uh, festival days, the Passover season. So that's where we're at tonight. And I want us to stand, if we would, please. And I want to read. I, I, I read last evening a lengthy passage. I want to read more tonight than I normally do. And, and I'm just going to take a small portion to comment on. But let's begin in verse number 1. It says, Now about that time, and it refers to what he's talking about prior, time of revival over at a place called Antioch. A church was planted, marvelous move of God. But now he comes back to Jerusalem and says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. It's the Passover season time. And when he'd apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, the light shined in the prison. He smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Rise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. He saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he'd considered the thing, now note this, when he'd given some thought, he's pondered what's going on, he's thought about it. When he'd considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in, told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said to him, Thou art said unto her, Thou art mad, but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Now, Peter's having more trouble getting in the prayer meeting than he did getting out of jail. Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now, as soon as his day, there's no small stir among the soldiers what become of Peter. 
When Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded they should be put to death. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It's the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Thank you and you may be seated. I want to call our attention to verse 5 tonight. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. But prayer, that made the difference. That little two-word statement, if you could just limit it to that tonight, was really why God did what he did in this passage. I'm not going to go into the detail that I sometimes do with this message. Sometimes I talk about Herod's intention. And that's rather obvious here, what he intended to do. He tells us in verse 4. But there's God's intervention that interrupted Herod's intention. But I'm going to skip over both of those statements tonight, and I want to just focus our attention for a little while on the third thing that I'm going to say, Herod's intention. It was interrupted by God's intervention as he came on the scene, but it all hinged on the church's intercession. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God him. Without me going into detail, pardon me for being so personal, I made reference, let me just mention again before I give you the message as I want to share it tonight. But I went before that small group of people, 1975, having felt led of the Lord to go back to a church that I'd had the privilege to be in with just a handful of people that when it was started. And it was in an inner city type situation when I went back. Well, that's where we'd been before, but the neighborhood had deteriorated. Buildings were not adequate. Church had suffered a tremendous blow, and and, and there was no one left there. There was less than 30 people uh, meeting there to worship in that inner city church. And the church uh, talked to me, approached me. I had the family there, and they approached me about coming back and being their pastor. I felt the Lord wanted me to. I was in your city preaching when the call came. I say in your city, somewhere in the Detroit area. Uh, I'm not even sure now, but it was, uh, I'd refer to it as Detroit, but it was somewhere in the general area. Don't even remember the church. I'd have to look at the notes. Bear with me. That's been a long time ago. But uh, I was, I know I was in this area and got a call and uh, my relative with a broken heart said, would you consider would you consider coming back? Said uh, the church has been devastated, and and uh, 
we, we just need some help. And, and I, I repeat, I, I felt that the Lord wanted me to, uh, to go back there, and I did, with an understanding that we'd move out of that community. There was no air. You couldn't build a church there. And the other church that I'm making reference to, they, they had a building and no people. They probably didn't have a dozen people. But they had a, a pretty decent building. And the, and the church that I went to had a few more people but no building. So when they approached us about and they need the pastor, and approached me about coming and bringing the church. I didn't have to do much praying about that, amen. I mean, you didn't have to have a lot of wisdom and insight and direction. And, oh, if you, you know, if you got some people, you need a building. So, But there we are now. And really, there's two churches under one roof. And uh, they both was gracious to me. Pastor, you, you just follow the leading of the Lord and we'll follow you. We had two song leaders. We had two head deacons. We had uh, two Sunday school superintendents. Wasn't many people, but they had a leader and all, you know, had all that crowd. And... Uh, you know, both of them can't lead singing at the same time. <laughs> both head deacons can't, uh, you know, can't be the head at the same time. I mean, more than one head's a monstrosity. <laughs> and now the honeymoon's over. <laughs> and I heard whisperings, and it wasn't so much whisperings. It was kind of out loud now. <laughs> well, he led it the last time. We called on him to pray the last two services. Don't you know that we are a church too? <laughs> and there we were. Discovered something after I got that. I didn't know the church was $100,000 in the red. I didn't know that. I don't reflect on the former ministry. I don't know all that went on. He's in heaven now. Throwed all the records away. And here they came to padlock the building. I was over in a little old study over side next door before we built a new building. And I heard a noise looking, a couple of sheriff's cars out there and some folks with them. And they're putting a big chain and padlock on the front door. And I went out. I said, what in the world is going on? And the fellow said, well, you, you won't pay for your building. We're going to take it over. I said, I know nothing about it. He said, really? You're the preacher and you know nothing about it? <laughs> And I said, well, I've just recently become the preacher. Well, I go in detail, and I don't say that to reflect negatively. I want to build my point here, so listen to me. And uh, they, they said, well, we, uh, you know, man, we don't want the building. We want our money. It was a college that had wound up with uh, a majority of the bonds and bought some of the others out, so they, were the, they held, uh, we owed them the money. I said, how much time can you give me? They talked there a little bit. One of the principals speaking for principal bond, uh, owners, uh, or rather uh, one of the, the principal leaders of that school, he speaking on behalf of others. He said, with 30 days, we think we can give you 30 days. I said, I'll have your money. I didn't have any money. And I didn't know anybody in church had any either. <laughs> they did. I didn't know it. They hadn't told me about it. <laughs> And uh, we started praying. Not because we wanted to pray, because we had to pray. And plus other, other things that was, we began to discover that uh, pressure, pressure, pressure. 
I got the people together and I said, God has burdened me if we would follow the pattern of the early New Testament church in their praying. And there's four little phrases here that brings into focus my understanding of what what they were really doing in approaching God. Now, keep in mind now, Herod's intention was to destroy Simon Peter, therefore to destroy the church. God intervened, but the intervention of God hinged on the intercession of the church. Church hadn't prayed, God wouldn't have come on the scene. People say to me, a man said to me in a service just recently, let me digress and say this. He said, Brother, don't you believe God is sovereign? Sure I do. Like I said last night, I'm grateful. That lets me pillow my head at night and get some sleep because I know God's on the throne. Well, he said, since God's sovereign, then prayer wouldn't affect God. I said, oh, wait a minute. See, God being sovereign and who he is, he has sovereignly chosen that prayer is a means whereby he gets a work done in his church. I mean, God put it that way. God sovereignly, if you please, he chose it. He said, if my people pray, I'll work. And James, the half-brother of our Lord, says, you have not because you ask not. A church that doesn't pray doesn't ever have God intervening and doing anything that cannot be explained from the human. A lot of ministries, and I don't say it unkindly, never anything takes place that cannot be explained from the human standpoint. But see, when God's people goes to praying, God goes to doing things that you have to stand amazed at and, and does that only which God can do. And so we, we went over these four Simple phrases. And that was after we, we really started praying. I mean, we didn't have time to do much of anything. Then just pray for that, you know, those some finances. I went to the bank. They wouldn't even talk to us. Church had, didn't have a good name with, bank, with the banks in that community. I don't say that again to be unkind. I'm just being truthful. Went to one bank. He said, where are you from? He said, I'm sorry. Went to another bank and same thing. We started praying. I found out who could pray with me in the morning. I've always preached outside of the pastorate. They, they called me with that understanding. Our midweek was Thursday. I met many of you in this area because I would come out. The first time I ever come to this church, Brother Frazier was here. I came here for a three-day meeting. I didn't go away. I didn't miss our services. Our midweek was Thursday, and I went somewhere Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, about every week of, of the year, traveled that way, plus pastored the church for 20 years. But uh, I, I canceled everything outside of the just to be there at the church. I called all of the pastors I was supposed to be with, and I said, God has burdened me to become pastor again. I don't know when I'll start this ministry back, but I just need to give full attention, 100% attention at home until things can happen for us and get out of the rut we're in. And so I found out who'd pray with me in the morning. Some could meet me early in the morning. I found out who'd pray in the afternoon. I found out who'd pray in the evening. We had three different times we'd meet. We'd meet with me, some of them early morning, some of them even before they'd go to work. They was over there praying. Afternoon, some of our folks that would come and pray in the afternoon. We had evening service, prayer meeting. No preaching, no singing, just praying. Just give a little admonition from the Word and then cry out to God. I'm not talking about just saying a prayer. I'm talking about getting along somewhere and having a meeting with God. Cry, stay there till you meet God. And I know I'm running the risk of tooting my horn. I don't mean to do that. I know who I am. So listen, bear with me a moment. And God began to do some things that church started getting encouraged. A week or two, we had, we had some people just 
Just start getting saved. I mean, people come in that no one, because we wasn't involved in outreach program. We, we was trying to get, you know, the, the bill paid. So, but yet God started sending people in there. I mean, getting saved. Some, uh, some would get up sometime before you got through preaching with such conviction. They'd come forward. I remember one fellow, he, he became a pillar in that church. He came down the aisle. He said, I don't know all I need to do, but I need to do something, he said. And I was preaching. And, and I said to the deacon, help him over here. Tell him what he needs to do. Spirit of God drawing people. And now the 30 days is about up. We prayed morning. We prayed evening. The banks didn't talk to us. We don't have any money. It's the day I'm supposed to talk with them. Praying in the morning service. I tell you, you're talking about praying earnestly. That'll make you be earnest in your praying. And uh, someone touched me on the shoulder in her prayer group. And I looked and I noticed who he was. And he had tears in his eyes and emotion in his voice. He said, I'll probably be gone 30 minutes, but I'm going to get you money. <laughs> I said, my what? I'm about like this crowd here. Couldn't believe Peter got out, you know. He said, I'm going to the bank and get the money and let you take it and pay this thing off. I said, the bank? He said, yeah. I said, what bank are you going to? He told me. I said, I've been there. They won't even talk to you. He said, they'll talk to me. It's my money. I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the start of something that marvelous and wonderful things began to happen like you wouldn't believe. People, God started sending people. Built a building, paid for it when we built it. Paid him back his money. I'm just talking about something, uh, you know, great and mighty things that you didn't even dream about asking. God just began to work. I, I felt like saying that, brother, when, you know, that's the last day. And he's punching on my shoulders and saying, go and get the money. I felt like saying, how come you wait the last day? I mean, you know, man, you've had that all time over there. Amen. That's the way the Lord does. Amen. He'll just let you wait in the nick of time. That's what it means when you can come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy, find grace to help in, in time of need. And the theologians tell us time of need means in the nick of time, about the time you think you're going under. God said, wait a minute, I got you. If he didn't let us get there, we'd take for granted. We'd, we'd get puffed up. We'd get arrogant. We'd think, you know, we're hot stuff and something like that. God said, no, I'll let it go far enough to know that I had to do it for you and you didn't have any way out of it. What is it tonight you need God to intervene for? Where, what uh, what uh, lock gates do you need open tonight? What prison do you feel hemmed in with tonight? I mean, this kind of praying unlocks iron gates. See, Herod, Peter had been thrown in prison a little earlier, and, and, and he got out and was over there preaching again. This time, Herod says, uh-uh, he, this is not going to happen. So he puts him back there, 16 soldiers guarding him, two chains that's on him, and, and he's behind two wards and an iron gate. But it didn't keep God out. Amen. One old time, he was a Puritan. He, 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 he said that the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but said prayer fetched the angel out of heaven. And I like that. You need an angel fetched out of heaven on your behalf tonight? He says prayer will do it. But what kind of prayer are we talking about? See, God's got it recorded. God's preserved it. 
And it's just one verse, and it's a, in one sense it's a simple verse, but yet there, there is truth here that I, I need to be reminded of regularly when it comes to prayer. Let me give you what I'm calling tonight, this little pattern of prayer. And there's four phrases. Let me give them to you. And then I want to comment on a couple of them. It says, But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. Now, I want to take the first phrase, and and I want to put it in my suggestions tonight. It's not first in order, but I think it's first as we begin to approach God, and it's that little phrase, unto God. They're not just talking in the wind. They're talking to somebody. They're aware of someone. When they're praying, they're not just like a Pharisee, rigmarole, saying a lot of empty words. No, no. This church, this prayer that brought this angel, and, and this angel brought Peter out of prison, and this prayer that caused God's intervention to stop Herod's intention, it was, let me give you four words. I'll give you a word for each one to identify my little outline tonight. It, this kind of praying under God, they prayed sincerely. Sincerely. Number two, not only was it unto God, but this prayer was made without ceasing. Now, if you have a center column reference Bible, it may give you a little little insight there. You think of the word without ceasing is to be constant. It has that idea, but it means a little more than that. It has the idea of intensity in it. It has the idea of earnestness in it. So not only did this New Testament church pray unto God sincerely, but they prayed without ceasing. I'll use two words to identify it. They pray intensely, but they pray persistently as they're intense in their praying. They didn't just say one prayer and quit. Peter's been in prison a week. This church has been at prayer. You say all week? I think so. Peter knew where those prayer meetings took place because when he got out of prison, he knew God had worked a miracle for him. And the Bible said when he considered it, that is, that he, 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 he contemplates, he gives some thought. And Simon said, oh, they're in a prayer meeting. And the prayer meetings took place over John Mark's mother's house. And when he got over there, that late night hour, he found many, not just one or two, many of that early New Testament church. What were they doing? They were gathered together and they were praying. And God's working while the church is praying. So they prayed sincerely unto God. They prayed without ceasing. They pray persistently. But in their persistent praying, they pray intensely. They're earnest. They're wholehearted in what they're doing. It's not just saying a prayer. They're praying. And then that next expression, I said there's four phrases. Unto God is the first one. Without ceasing is the second one. And the third phrase is of the church. Of the church. They pray unitedly. There's not cliques in that early New Testament church. They're not broke up in little groups and and one group doesn't get along with the other group. They're, They're in one mind and one heart and one accord, if you please. And here they are of the church. You say when I was a pastor, I'd say it so repeatedly to our people. If the devil can divide us, he'll defeat us and destroy us. And he knows that. He knows a house divided cannot stand. Whether it's your church house, your courthouse, your schoolhouse, or your home house, if he can divide you, he'll defeat you. Sure as the world. So prayer was made 
without ceasing of the church unto God. And the last phrase is those last two words, for him. So this early New Testament church prayed sincerely. They prayed earnestly, persistently. They prayed unitedly. And then they prayed specifically. It's not a vague, general, round-the-world kind of a prayer. They got someone on their heart. And they're talking to God about that one that's in trouble. And this church together, as they're praying, they're unitedly crying out to God and saying, Lord, it's, it's our leader. It's Simon Peter, Lord. And the Holy Spirit has Luke to tell us that when the church was over there praying, this prayer unto God of the church wholeheartedly, sincerely, but it was focused upon Him, praying for Him. Now, I wonder tonight, since I've already commented and talked as I've given you the thoughts, I'm not going to take much time. In fact, I don't need much time. It's rather obvious to me, and I'm sure it is to you. Let me just raise a question tonight. Would you take a little inventory as I, as I have done already and I'm doing tonight. I'd like to bring this into focus as I think about my own prayer life. And I'm asking myself, and, and I've, had to, I've asked the Lord to help me in my time with Him this afternoon. I, I've just purposely, knowing He directed me to come with this, and I've just purposely said to Him, Lord, search me. Lord, help me. Lord, I, I want this anew a, a and afresh to be impressed upon me. I don't want to just say words and call it prayer. But Lord, I want to have a meaningful meeting with you. And see, prayer is more than just... See, you can learn how, quote, unquote, to say a prayer and never pray. There was people in Jesus' day, and they were the religious elite. They were called the Pharisees. And, and they'd stand on street corners and pray. And Jesus said in pretense, they'd make a long prayer. In fact, the way he prefaced it, he said they love to, st to pray. If he'd have stopped there, you'd have thought there's real pious. But what he was saying to his disciples, when you go to pray, don't pray like they pray. Their praying wasn't unto God. They were praying to be seen and heard of men. They'd see someone coming and they'd start their prayer. Because the motivation, I mean, they want to be thought to, you know, they're religious. They're pious. They're, you know, they're the, they're the religious leaders. I preached about some of them on Sunday morning when I said they couldn't hardly handle it when Jesus became a friend of sinners. It was the Pharisees who criticized him. Still rejoicing, they said, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them because they didn't know God. They didn't know what God feels about us poor sinners. And they didn't know God when it came to prayer. Oh, they, you could have heard them. Boy, they knew how. They, 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 I mean, they, they, they knew exact words and the adjectives they could use and, and the word pictures they could paint as they so-called went through their motion of prayer. But Jesus said to his disciples in their presence, said, when you pray, don't be like this crowd. Instead of being on the street corner publicly trying to attract attention, he said, you go into your closet and close the door on you. And your father, listen, who is in secret... He's in there anticipating you coming. He will meet you in there, and he'll reward you openly. Now, don't let me throw you a curve. I, I'm not opposed to public prayer, but I'm a little afraid of it. I've always said that because we're not careful in a public prayer setting. If we're not careful, we're more concerned about what our, our fellow man's ears is hearing us say than whether we're really getting in touch with God. 
man of God who was with the Lord now, my, did he know God. And he said to me after once, he said, could I ask you a real personal question? I said, yeah. He said, you have prayer time this morning. And I'd stop at his place. You've heard me talk about it. I'd stop when I leave the army base, and, and, I'd, and I'd stop there and, and visit with him. I'm just getting started in the ministry. He knew me in like A.W. Tozer, been a friend, associate, worked with him. Uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, they were friends. They'd work at, He knew me in of that caliber. And uh, he was in the church where I first got started. And he, he put his arm around me. He wasn't a pastor. He'd, uh, he was sold in retirement. He'd preach occasionally. My, could you hear from God when that aged man stood up and start talking? And uh, he, he said to me, he said, I understand I was a civilian employee, but I worked at Fort Benjamin Harrison at the Army base. He said, I understand you, you work at the base. I said, yeah. He said, I live within 10 minutes of the base. He said, you come down Post Road coming home? I said, yeah. He said, you pass in three uh, blocks of my home. He said, uh, what time do you get off work? I said, early. I'm off between 5.30 and 6 a.m. He said, how about stopping and, and uh, we'll have prayer together. I said, is that too early? Oh, no. He said, no. He said, I, I, I get up early. I meet God early. He said, uh, how about stopping? He said, you drink coffee? I said, I'll have you a cup of coffee ready. And at uh, 6 a.m., we'd stop at his place. He, we did a couple times, and he said, let's set up a little schedule if you don't mind. He said, Brother Hurt, he said, if you don't mind, he said, I'd like to be your mentor. <laughs> I jokingly said I went home, peeped in on that word to make sure he wasn't going to hurt me. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was his subtle, or maybe perhaps not so subtle way, but being tactful. That was his way of saying, man, this fellow really needs some help. Somebody better try to help him a little. And my, the help that he was to me. He'd take a subject. He took the subject of the Holy Spirit. He'd give me a book on the subject. He took the subject of prayer. That's where he excelled in prayer and the ministry of the Spirit and the power of God that was on him. And he, he'd talk to me about walking with God. He talked to me. He's the first person to ever talked to me about quiet time, the morning watch, meeting God in the morning, manna in the morning, he called it. And uh, he asked me that question I started to refer to. He said, have you... Have you prayed already? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I prayed. He said, could I ask you a personal pointed question without offending you? I said, sure. He said, but did you meet God? Now, you think about that. See, you can pray without having to meet with God. You can read the Bible. Preacher and I are talking today. I, I said, you know, you can read the Bible regular, not even be right with God. Give you time. You can come regular church and not have a meeting with God. I'm not putting any of that down. All of that's proper in its place. But see, this early New Testament church, they wasn't just saying a prayer. They wasn't reading off a big long list. They wasn't just their minds wandering off. No, they, the Bible says that this early church's prayer was unto God. They were aware they was coming into His presence. They're talking with God, if you please. Let me give you that verse out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 18. It's very interesting, very helpful, and I'm going on. I, I'm, I'm going to keep my word. I'm not preaching long tonight. But look at verse number 18 of uh, second, uh, the second chapter of Ephesians. And Paul talking here in the context of Jew and Gentile, both of them been made in, into one in the body of Christ. And he says in the 18th verse, through him, that is Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access. Now, don't miss this. Access, the, the word for access is introduction. You're being introduced to someone. You're being brought into someone's presence. 
We both have access. How did you have? By one Spirit unto the Father. How do you get to the Father? It's the Spirit that brings you into God, the presence of the Father. And if you have a grieved Holy Spirit living in you tonight, and, and if I grieve Him, I'll quench Him and stop His work. And when I try to pray, all I'm doing is just saying empty words. But oh, if we're right with God and filled with His Spirit and ask Him to search us and not let anything be there that would wound Him or grieve Him, and say to him, Holy Spirit, I can't get to God on my own. I need you to help me. And all of a sudden you'll be aware you're not just saying empty words. You'll be in the presence of God. And you'll pray sincerely. You won't just be going over some words, empty words. In this New Testament early church, when they would pray, they met God. So I asked the question my mentor asked me years ago. He said, did you meet God? Not asking us if we prayed this morning, but let me ask you a question. Did you meet God today already? Do you know as well as you know your name tonight? Ere you left your place of prayer this morning, there was someone you was conscious of. In His presence is fullness of joy. You can't stay spiritually defeated and down and, and be gloomy and meet God at the same time. In His presence there is a rejoicing and a glory and a praise and you want to honor Him when you meet Him. But see, if we're not careful, the enemy, and I said to the pastor today, if the enemy defeats us along here, he'll defeat us. I don't care what sphere of service you try to serve God. He'll defeat you in your service. If you do not meet God regularly, I mean, then, of course, we're operating in the flesh. It's not the power of God on us. Oh, we learn how to do certain things, and we'll go ahead and struggle through them. And sometimes God's not even with us. And so here's this early church. Pattern of prayer for us. They prayed sincerely. They prayed without ceasing. You want to use two words? I'm using it. They prayed intensely and they prayed persistently. The same word, it's only used two or three times in the Bible. The idea, in the, the word means stretched outedly. It's like a, an athlete just giving every fiber of his being, trying to cross the line. Our Lord, the words used about our Lord in His praying. Listen to Him in Luke chapter number 22 in the garden, verse 44, and says, being in an agony, listen, He prayed more earnestly. That's the same word. More earnestly. Well, He's not saying a little half-hearted prayer. If you'd have heard Him in the garden, he was under such pressure, his perspiration became, as it were, great drops of blood. And the pressure he's under, and he's crying out of the depths of his soul. I wonder, do we know anything about the kind of praying that's earnest praying, intense praying, praying out of a sense of a burden? And, and the Old Testament talk about travail of soul. When Zion travails, she'll bring forth her children. Paul would write to the Galatian church and say, I travail again. Implication, he had travailed when they started that church in Galatia. He said, I travail again till Christ be formed in you. See, they had turned into legalism and rule book religion and making law their God. And, and there's missing Christ in their life over at Galatia. And Paul says, I travail again till Christ be formed in you. I wonder, do we travail? See, that's a word that's connected with, as I said the other night, talking last night about the childbearing, the birth of a child. I mean, you don't have birth without travail. And so that's the idea, earnest praying. But not just one time, persistent praying. 
Our Lord taught it so often in his parables. Luke 18, men ought always to pray not to faint. Luke 11, that man knocking on his friend's door at midnight, and he said he got what he was after, not because of friendship, but because of his importunity. That's a word we don't use now, uh, but importunity, it's really persistent, a little bit more than persistent. It's shameless persistent. And Jesus taught it in many of his illustrations, many of his parables. He has a father-child relationship. Uh, You were small children. I'm sure you've noticed how persistent a small child. You can say no, and he'll say why. (laughs) If he mentions asking again, uh, he asks again. And Jesus uses that illustration. We have seven grandchildren. That's a good opportunity for me to tell you about them. (laughs) And uh, little Paul, we call him. Paul and uh, Paul, little Paul Jr., and uh, that's our youngest son, lives in Florida now. Uh, he got a house full of youngins. He had four girls before he got a boy. <laughs> and so there's five of them there. Little Paul finally came along, and he's seven now. And he call, I called the other day, and he told me, he said, Hey, Grandpa, he said, I'm coming to your house again this summer. I said, I know it. Are you going to be there, he said. I said, Yeah, I'll try to be a day or two that I'm leaving town, I told him. <laughs> but he was up there a couple years ago. And uh, they didn't get to come last year, but a couple of years ago, he was five-year-old, uh, not Harley five. He turned five in, uh, in August. He's there in July. And uh, the, we have a daughter who works with an airline, so she arranged her schedule to, to, to bring her brother's children from Florida and, and, and so they could ride what she calls on her buddy pass and so forth. And so she brought his children, and, the, and there was three of four of them came in, all but the oldest, and and stayed with us for a month, really. Then we went back on vacation, took them home. And uh, my daughter told me, Becky said, uh, about the time the plane was coming into Indianapolis, she, she, he was beside her and said, look out the window now, this is Indianapolis. He said, that's Papaw's. Papaw lives in Indianapolis. She said, yeah, this is it. said, uh, show me Papaw's house, he said. <laughs> and she said, well, I think we're past the house. But said, this is the city to bring them in. And just as soon as they got off the plane, he said, uh, where's the phone? I want to call Papaw. And Becky said, well, he's not home. Well, where's he at? She said, he's in North Carolina. He says, is that far away? <laughs> she said, yeah, it is. So they got home. They gave him on the phone. And, Papa, I'm at your place, and you're not here. I said, well, I'll be there in two or three days. And I got there. And we used to live in the country, and they built a shopping center out there near us now. And coming out of the area where we live, one of the feeder lanes, getting at the interstate, there's a, a big Toys R Us store. You know what that is, you know. Great big thing there. He's all buckled up in there looking around, talks a mile a minute. I mean, he talks all the time. And he said, he saw that sign. Papa, he said. He said, I like that place. <laughs> and I didn't comment first. He said, Papa, I, I, I like Toys R Us. He said, can we go in there? I said, no, I got to go where we're going. I gotta, I gotta. He said, on the way back, can we go? No, I said, not this time. He said, why? I said, it takes a bunch of money to go in there, and I don't have a bunch of money. He said, oh, <laughs> He went me the next day. We pulled out and he said, Papa, do you have a bunch of money today? <laughs> Talk about persistence. Well, I said, no. But I tell you, for the months up, he got Papa and Toys R Us. Oh, listen tonight. Persistence. And, and, and here, without ceasing, uh, then it was all of the church. Now listen carefully. I'm not implying that I sense any disunity. I do not. I said to your dear pastor, I sense a a warm spirit in your church. I I sense the spirit of unity. But are you listening? I don't want to 
I don't want to sound negative, but uh, uh, and, and I'm for people being positive. But you see, when, when you've got the unity of the Spirit, and the Bible says endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. If you, if you have to endeavor something, it's not automatic. I mean, you've got to work at it. And uh, keep your eyes open. Stay on your knees. Don't let the devil cause something within you that would cause disharmony in the church. Behold how good and and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, the Bible says. And and I repeat, you can't talk to God. I cannot talk to God. If If I'm wrong with you, I cannot be right with God. It'll destroy your prayer life quicker than anything I know of if you get ill will and bitterness and unforgiveness and something in your heart towards some, someone else. God won't let you be in fellowship with Him when you're in broken fellowship with some of His people. There's no way. You're kidding yourself if you think you're going to have a meaningful prayer life and when you've got ill will and bitterness and hurt feelings and all of that kind of trash, if, we, if, if, if we're taken up for that tonight, it's impossible unless there is unity in the midst of God's people. And then it was, as I said a moment ago, it was under God, it was without ceasing, it was of the church, and it was for Him. For Him. You see, if you can pray specifically, you're praying out of a sense of a burden. If we don't have a burden, we ought to ask God to give us a burden. Because it's impossible to have a meaningful prayer if it's just words only. See, we learn how to just say words only, but if it's not... See, prayer presupposes there's a need. See, prayer and praise is not the same thing. They're kin to each other, but they're not the same thing. Bible, thanksgiving and prayer is not the same thing because the Bible says pray with thanksgiving. See, I'm not talking about thanksgiving and praise and worship. Oh, that ought to be daily after we've secured His presence. That ought to be our response. Just worship Him. I I use a hymn book in my worship. I don't sing, but I can read a little. And I'll take a hymn book, a song of praise, and I just read the words to Him. And I love Fanny Crosby's music. And and I take many of her songs, and I just bless the Lord with them. And it's amazing how the Spirit of God will get real if you want to brag on Jesus, because that's what He's here for. He wants to Magnify the Lord Jesus. So I'm not talking about worship and praise and thanksgiving. I'm for that. And that ought to take place every day of our life in our quiet time. And if we do it individually, we're ready when we come together collectively. My church that meets God and does it before they get to church, I tell you, that church will praise God when they meet together. But I'm not talking about that altogether. I'm talking about prayer. See, prayer is supplication. Prayer is asking. Prayer is begging. Prayer's pleading. Prayer's coming out of a sense that I, oh God, I, I have a need. The church has a need. Lord, we're not adequate. And we're crying to Him. And be specific. Call somebody's name. Call the need that you're praying about. Find out the needs of the church. And don't just pray generally because we won't be burdened, you know. Sometimes we pray like this. Lord, bless the church. Lord, heal the sick. Lord, save the lost. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but if you're not careful, that's vague. That's general. And it's just, you know, Lord, just heal all the sick. Lord, just save the lost. Well, we can pray that without any kind of burden. But you get real burden for somebody you love. And you'll be saying, oh, God, Lord, it's my boy. Oh, God, it's my daughter. It's my granddaughter. Oh, God. See, in the Bible, when you study prayers, it's not vague, general, around-the-world kind of praying. You'll find them being specific, definite in their praying. So... This prayer was under God. They prayed sincerely. It was without ceasing. They prayed earnestly, if you please, intensely. Is the word I'm using. They prayed persistently as they're doing that. 
They prayed unitedly. They were right with each other. It was of the church, and they prayed specifically. It was for him. 